Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, what's going on? Not so much, Steve. Today we are going to talk about hot streaks, what hot streaks are and what patterns lie behind them regardless of whether you are an athlete or a researcher, a business person, or a recording artist, some pretty interesting new research that um, identifies really reliable patterns that, um, that support getting into a career flow for a period of time. All right. I'm excited about this one. Um, before we dive into that, though, you know how you can get your own hot streak how you can do your best work by joining the growth equation, Patreon community. That is the right answer, Brad. That is it. That's how you get to go broad by discussing different books from an assortment of authors. We go from sports to business to ancient wisdom to the latest science. We bring on the authors. We have discussions. That's how you go broad. And then you use that information to go deep, to understand. $5 a month, access to one of the best book clubs on the internet, where, as Steve said, we bring in authors for live discussions every month, free guides to resilience, to the principles of sustainable peak performance, signed copies of our books, quarterly mastermind group, it's really a great deal. So if you like what we do and you want to support our work and take your game to the next level, check out our Patreon community at www.patreon.com slash the growth equation and sign up there. All right. So let's let's dive into this. Why don't we use this latest research as a jumping off point? And then we'll kind of connect it. So do you want to summarize what the, I believe it was the nature paper found? Yeah, I'd love to do nothing more than summarize some good old research. It's my, my jam. So there's a paper in the prestigious journal nature that came out about three and a half, four years ago that I referenced in the practice of groundedness, which showed that Regardless of the field, most people tend to have a hot streak in their career. And the researchers defined hot streak as a temporally located, which is just jargon for at a point in time, a series of very consistently great works. And that paper showed that the hot streaks were relatively random with one exception. And that is they all rested upon a significant body of work where there was no observable progress. So no one comes into their career and gets hot right off the bat. Hot streaks require a lot of patience. This more recent study by a similar team of researchers tried to explore, well, what happened in those intervening years while folks were being patient? And what they found was really interesting. And that is that the pattern underlying most hot streaks is a period of exploration, which is when you are going relatively broad, and we'll define broad a little bit later, 
followed by a period of exploitation, which is when you pick out the one thing and you go really deep on it. Now, broad could mean for a microbiologist studying different kinds of cells. And deep or exploitation could be finding the one that really piques their interest and then going deep on that. For an artist, broad could be exploring different kinds of media before finding one that clicks and then going deep on that. Uh, another way to put it is these hot streaks were predicted by periods of generalization followed by periods of intense specialization. So no one just did this one very narrow thing and then exploded. There was definitely some, some breadth beforehand. And again, what's very interesting about this is it was true in musicians, business people, um, and scientists and researchers. And while they didn't study athletes, it supports all kinds of research looking at sports folks. And that shows that um, to have the best chance of becoming a professional athlete, you should not specialize until later in your career. So you should play a whole bunch of different sports throughout middle school, perhaps throughout high school, and only then in college specialize. And that gives you the best chance of being great. So we're interested in patterns that seem pretty universal, and one seems to be emerging here. Yeah, you know, that's why I love this, because it is this universal pattern. I mean, we could even apply it in an athletic yearly context. What do you do? You go very broad at the beginning of the year in your off-season, in your base training, where you're putting together all these different stimuli to get better. And then as your season progresses, as you make your way to whatever championship or whatever big thing, you get more and more narrow and specific, right? The broad is what allows you to go narrow, to go deep. You know, um, when I tweeted something about this study, uh, the sports physiologist who's really world-class, Inigo Mujica, had tech or messaged me and said, you know, I was thinking about this and I think of it in terms of school, right? We go very broad through high school, even undergrad. We get into graduate school and then we go deep and we go narrow, right? And then he made another point, which was like, and then after, after we get, let's say our PhD, what happens we go broad and shallow again to almost rejuvenate as we try and find our spot, right? Try and find that thing where our interests and the demands uh, match. And then once we find that spot, our area, we go deep again. So I just love that you can apply this in so many different contexts. And it's almost this kind of universal idea. Um which we can kind of bat around and u- utilize in several different areas and several different places. And I think that's the beauty of it. Now, if I think of, okay, wh- how do we apply this thing? This, I think, again, you think of it as the broad allows you to go deep. And then what often happens in our careers is once we get go deep and successful, we fail to come back out again, Right. And it's that broad exploratory mode that kind of recharges us, rejuvenates us, and that is vital to performance. And I would actually say, if you look at, okay, who masters this cycle really well? 
oftentimes it's it's authors uh, who have to go through some major exploratory phase before they start the next book, which is the narrow part. So this encompasses like our entire life, Brad. Yeah, um, I wrote about this quite a bit in the practice of groundedness. And um, it's this notion of finding fit before grit. And I think this kind of thinking is really first attributed to our good friend, Dave Epstein. Um, And what this means is that we're often told that you need grit, which is passion, perseverance, stick-to-itiveness, the ability to grind, patience. And all of that is true. Yet grit is only useful once you first have fit which is finding the thing that you actually want to do. And the exploration period where you're sampling multiple different things is what allows you to find that fit. Because if you just prioritize grit above all else, then you might get stuck in a career or a line of work that you really don't like and you're not really good at. So... A couple of weeks back in our newsletter, I wrote about, you know, myself as an example that I quit just about everything there was to quit in math. I quit AP Calculus. I quit Econ 401. I quit a business major. I quit the idea of going to business school. Like every time there was a juncture that I could quit, I quit. Whereas in writing, I got rejected all the time, but I kept going. So it doesn't make me a grittier, not gritty person. It simply means that I chose to be gritty in writing because it was a good fit. And if I would have just been gritty at math, I'd be like a miserable person in a job that requires a lot of math, not good at it and not enjoying it. So um, I think that it's neat too, that there's this really good peer reviewed study that brings some rigor to this notion of grit is not a be all and end all. And if anything, you actually need the ability to try a lot of stuff and quit a lot of stuff before grit can be useful for you. I mean, it's that dabbling, right? I, the way I kind of look at it is, or kind of get at it from another standpoint is um, think back to elementary school, right? What did you do to figure out what you were interested in? Like you tried just about every sport. Like I played everything, right? Signed up for everything. Um, One week you were determined to be a police officer. The next week you were a fireman and the next week a doctor, right? You're experimenting and seeing if these things match up. I think on the flip side, what often happens, so that's that exploratory phase, on the flip side, what often happens is we um, we prematurely cement ourselves into something narrow. In here, I think about the problem of like phenoms or prodigies. You get really good at something. You get reinforced by it. You get external accolades and even demands from parents, teachers, whoever, coaches. And that prematurely like cements you on the narrow which often leads to the downfall of your performance in that area because you don't have that like exploratory nature that provides you this breadth 
and wide base off of which to then develop your skill or attribute. So, you know, it applies to a lot of things that I think we often get wrong, right? And that's why I think it's it's a very helpful model to sit back and be like, okay, am I exploring enough before I go deep? And to make this real, maybe... Maybe we'll talk about, uh, I mean, how we how we develop book ideas, right? Because it's very easy and we batter, like, it's very easy to get excited and be like, oh, we should write our next book or I should write my next book on this topic. And if we have a superficial, like, understanding and knowledge of it, it might seem like, oh, this is a good idea. We should go down this path. Let's write, write this things. And you see a lot of books that are kind of have that kind of superficial understanding. But I think what separate, separates out books um, that provide real value is the people who take the time to explore long enough to understand the concept well enough to understand, hey, do I want to go deep on this? Do I want my next year or two of life to be consumed by this or more so that I understand it at such a level where I can dissect and then give lessons or clarity to a reader over 250 pages that will, will, you know, benefit them to a large degree. Yeah. So what does this actually mean in practice for me? It means reading a whole bunch of books. I consider that exploration. It means sending a whole bunch of tweets with ideas into the universe. I consider that exploration. It means writing our newsletter. I consider that exploration it means having conversations with other knowledgeable people. I consider that exploration. And it takes green lights in all of those areas to pursue an idea. And maybe there can be an occasional red light, but it's not enough just to like deeply believe in something and then think you should go deep right off the bat. It requires some testing, at least to um, increase the, the hit rate that it's going to work out. And by work out, I don't mean it's going to be a best-selling book. But I mean, is going to be something that you'll enjoy doing with the chance to be a best-selling book. Yeah, and I, I obviously follow a similar, um, similar style and similar path there. And I think what you illustrated there nicely is it's not just like, oh, go explore, like just think about things for a while, do different things. What you demonstrated there is like different levels, right? different levels of just pure exploration. For instance, in your reading, I know kind of the style you read in my reading. Like we go, like we try to choose books that aren't all in the same area or aren't all on the same focus, but go wide so that we're looking at things that cover the latest like science. Like we'll both read text, like hardcore textbooks on topics to get understanding. But then like follow that out up with, you know, some book written hundreds of years ago that like provides some ancient wisdom um, or someone who is an expert on that area who provides some insight in there that has literally very little science in it. Right. You're trying to get this breadth uh, so you can explore. But then you follow that up once you get that. OK, I have an inkling of. You know, these things really caught my eye. These things really start to connect. Then in that exploratory phase, you're still testing, right? You're sending out tweets. You're trying it in newsletters, maybe even discussing it in a podcast. 
and the feedback and reaction and response you get there like guides whether hey this is a topic i should go deep on or you know this might be a topic for a long newsletter or maybe some print article but eh, it doesn't have the legs or the excitement or the energy behind it or the impact behind it to make it into this this really deep multi-year project yeah i think i think people get the point um from that example because it's so clear so I also think that listeners probably can hear all this and be like, all right, it makes total sense if you're a creative person with a lot of autonomy. The implications for parenting are really clear, which is expose your kid to a whole bunch of stuff before there's any talk of specialization. The implications for an entrepreneur are pretty clear, but a little less clear, which is don't be scared to um, try lots of things before you really like pursue one route. And that's definitely something that comes up with a lot of the VCs that I coach is that they talk about, oftentimes they're not selecting an idea as much as they're selecting the team because the idea is gonna change as the environment changes and as the team figures out the right product market fit. So like really good VCs, well, they'll want an idea that's not garbage, but if they feel like there's a team or co-founders that are just super smart and sharp in a general area, they'll fund that company and they'll tell those people, don't be too attached to your original idea. Try a whole bunch of stuff in the surrounding neighborhood. And to me, that's exploration. And then exploitation is once you get in, in business, it's called product market fit, then you go deep. Now, what about the person that is just working at a large organization? How might they um, take this information and use it for their own career and their own fulfillment? What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think here it's 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 actually pretty similar in the sense that we we think of this like broad and deep in terms of our work life, but I think it applies to the rest of our life as well. Like... If you're working for a large corporation, like you still like value being motivated and driven, you still value like curiosity. And I think like the spark plug for that is being able to go broad on ideas so you can establish connections, right? And the more exploration you have in whatever area it is, the more connections you're able to establish, right? The more aha moments you have, the more like hair standing up on the back of your neck where you get excited about some project or something occurs. If you just are going through the motions and, you know, filling out your paperwork and doing your Excel sheets and all that stuff without like trying to connect your work to something else meaningful, meaning there's like an exploratory component into it, I think you're missing out and kind of leading towards, you know, a little resentment or a path towards burnout um, if you don't have these kind of moments where you get to step back and explore. Yeah. And I think if you're a manager managing people, um, it's just giving people the opportunity to have time and space to explore different things, even if those people are fairly late in their careers. Um, often in my coaching practice with executives that are, I shouldn't say late in their careers, but they have been in the same organization in a similar role for a long time. Their biggest fear is they're going to get bored doing the same thing. 
So something we talk about a lot is how do you constantly keep it fresh before then going really deep? So instead of thinking about just doing this one thing for the next 20 years, maybe it's a cycle of zooming out, doing some exploration, and then deciding on the one to three things you're going to go deep on for the next three to five years. And then after that three to five year period, it's zooming out, doing some exploration, and then deciding what you're going to go deep on. Um, so it, it, that's how I see it playing out for folks that, you know, you could be the chief information officer, or the chief operating officer of a big company for 30 years, but still follow this exploration exploitation pattern versus someone that doesn't, um, that's gets bored. Exactly. You know, one of the things that I tell clients I work with is often, if you feel that like boredom, that apathy, that lack of drive, et cetera, is it often helps to set a set aside, you know, 10% of your work week or work day or whatever have you, uh, however you divide your time for like thinking about exploring ideas that excite you in that, like that, that space. And it could be something totally unrelated to the project you're currently working on. It could be like a pie in the sky dream or initiative that you have for your organization or your company. But just spending a little bit of time, like going through that, that exploration phase on something that excites you, I think is, is high, highly valuable. And I think sometimes we don't do that because we live in a culture of uh, efficiency and optimization. So everything has to have a point and be leading towards some outcome or some measure. But when you're in an exploration phase, like you don't, you've got to let go of that. You know, I read literally hundreds of scientific articles, which the vast majority of, I will never use that knowledge for anything I write on or, or in any of my professional career. But if I don't go through all those, like then I don't have the, the, the insights, the aha moments, the knowledge to maybe understand something that leads to a major project which occupies and satisfies and excites me for, for several years. So not everything has to like lead towards some productive outcome. Give yourself that freedom and that room to explore, even if it's for, you know, 30 minutes once a week, like giving yourself that permission, I think, if you're just part of a, a large organization is very important. You're getting at the difference between efficiency in the short run and efficiency in the long run or optimization in the short run and optimization in the long run. Because if you wanted to optimize something in the short run, you would exploit, exploit, exploit. But if you want to optimize something in the long run, whether that's an organization or an individual career, you would explore, 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 exploit, explore, 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 exploit. And I think that um, it's just really helpful to remember when we talk about things like being efficient or being optimal, well, under what time frame? And um, it's like the, the coach that throws 100 eggs at the wall and the one that doesn't crack wins a medal. Well, if you're running a company, that's one way to run it. And then you're just going to have people exploit, be super narrow, but you probably won't have great employee satisfaction ratings. 
And most companies require more than 1% of their employees to stick around. Whereas if all you do is tell people to explore with very little structure, you're probably not going to get much done. So it's around finding this balance of exploration and exploitation organizationally and then um, as, as an individual too, because as, um, as George Leonard wrote really well, um, I don't know, 30 years ago, like he, he had on his, on his path to mastery, there are, are perpetual dabblers who all they do is dabble and then they quit and then they dabble and then they quit and then they dabble and they quit and that's all they do. And you don't want to be a dabbler perpetually, but he also had an archetype called obsessives. And those people just dive into one thing and forget about everything else and do that one thing at all costs. And those people end up not doing so well. So the path to mastery is, in Leonard's words, like dabbling a little and being a little obsessed. And again, he wrote this 30 years ago. This study came out a couple months ago, but when multiple sources and thinkers are pointing to the same pattern, it's probably pretty true. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you brought up Leonard. I mean, he is was the master. So the master at mastery. Um, but, you know, the other thing I, I think this is related to is like, okay, people get it. Like, how do you apply this thing? And I think you hit the point, like the important point there, which is like, you need, it's not just like, oh, go explore all freedom, all autonomy. When I talk to clients about like the benefits of autonomy in a workplace or a team, they say, great, but like, aren't you giving away all control? And the key isn't chaos, exploration chaos. It's setting constraints, giving yourself constraints to explore, right? And freedom to explore within these boundaries, right? Brad and I aren't just like spending all of our time reading without having an idea that, you know, at some point, like we've got to, we've got to, we got to sort through this mess and figure out like what the next idea is. What's the next big thing to like go deep on, right? It's that's, that's what you're looking for. So set those constraints appropriately, maybe in the exploration phase, like have a, a hint of the purpose, but don't be obsessed with the purpose. And then as you flip phases, like have a hint of this broad exploration, but get a little obsessed with the like specific purpose. Yeah. Love it. Um, I was going to say something else. Oh yeah. So another area, maybe the last one to touch on where we're certainly not experts, but where this of course comes to mind is in dating. So do you think that like this, and I'm sure that some researchers listening to this and hopefully we're giving you a really good, but kind of lightning rod study idea because it shouldn't be like the case against high school sweethearts. Although I can tell you in my life, I had to date, a handful of women to realize like what is seductive or lustful, but not good for me before I could find someone that was good for me. And, um, I don't know, like that pattern seems to map pretty well. And I think, like you said, within bounds, because I, I think that for most people, like true polyamory, which is just pure exploration is not a long-term sustainable solution. I said for most people, not for all. 
And I think for most people, the chances of staying with a high school sweetheart is probably not a long-term solution. So is it just another area where we kind of see this pattern of explore, exploit, and then within a relationship? And I think this is perhaps the even more important thing. So you can't change partners every five years, but I do think it's probably, and again, I'm no expert, it's probably good to like keep things fresh by exploring new things with your partner. And it's like, I once heard this quote, um, I forgot who said it, but it, it was just so good. It's like the key to a long relationship is to like constantly be willing to research your partner and be curious about them and be amazed by them. Which to me is just like all about getting into an exploration mindset. Like, oh, you think you know this person? Like, you don't know that person. So, okay. Dating advice from Brad and Steve. Here we go. You might not want to take dating advice from from me, at least. No, we're going to tell the story about New York Barnes and Nobles during the peak performance book launch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Brad, hinting. Um, I'm going to answer. I think it would be a fascinating study. I think, first off, yes. I think, to a large degree, the pattern holds. Um, I, I think it's like this human pattern and I'm going to go off dating and then you can bring us back to it because I know you want to, but the way I see it is think about it like this. Okay. Our passage of our sense of passage of time. Okay. When we're young, like when we're in elementary school, junior high, high school, whatever, like. It seems like that period of time is like takes a really like really long time, right? It goes by slow slowly in that moment, right? And then as we get into our 20s and 30s and 40s, like their 50s, there's all this research that shows like time almost like compresses, right? Our our older days, the older we get, seem to go by faster. Right? It's why often We have all these memories of like high school and middle school, like that period of time. And if you look at, okay, why does that occur? Research is pretty clear. It's because at the beginning, like early on, we have a whole bunch of novelty. It's really hard to predict the world. It's hard to predict what we're going to do, what our relationships are like, how things are going to interact. And when things aren't predictable, time seems to move slower, right? But if if things are too unpredictable, we don't like that either because then it it not only seems slower, but we have this chaos, right? Where meaning isn't there, all this stuff is just not good. So we have to balance in our lives this degree of like predictability versus novelty and uncertainty. And I think what you're getting at there with that relationship is what happens very early, and we'll bring it back to relationships for you, Brad, is that you have this excitement, this novelty, this ex- like you're just like exploring because you don't know understand this person or know who they are and blah, blah, blah. And then over time, it gets more predictable, right? And we move towards that predictable part. And the key to a good relationship isn't to go back necessarily to that like full-on novelty because there's also chaos in that arguments not getting along all that stuff um but it's to find just that nice balance of predictability 
was still having some like exploration and um, amazement and some curiosity around it so that that time doesn't just slip on by and and all that good stuff there's my philosophical plus scientific um random exploration for you brad You know, the student has become the teacher, Steve. So I think that um, I think that's spot on. Probably could think about friendships, relationship with like a house or something physical in the same way. Um, who knew that we'd end here? Wow. But I don't think we're going to get a better ending than that. So um, I think you just did it. I think that was the closer. So... Should I do my my quick summary that I, I tend to do at the end of these, or should we just let the good people go? You know, let's just let them go. All right. Well, there you have it. Exploration, exploitation. Got to have a little bit of both. Do the former, then the latter. Not too much of each. How about that? There's the... We're keeping the Zen tone at the end. That's as much of a summary as y'all are going to get. Not explore or exploit, explore and exploit. And I, I just like to add here, not summarizing, but if you're interested in coaching, it seems like Brad's going to uh, branch out to dating advice now. That's going to be the next, the next arm of the growth equation. I'm just. Oh kidding. man, you took me here. So instead of a, an explanation, we're going to get a quick recap and do this really, really fast. All right, here we are. Set the scene. Barnes & Noble's downtown New York City, Barnes & Noble's headquarters. Peak performance has just come out. Steve and I are like barreling away on our computers. It's literally launch day, like responding to emails, podcast hopes, we're, we're posts, we're in between interviews. And this, this young woman just comes and sits down at the table and says, hi, Steve. And meanwhile, Steve's been like texting on his phone. And I don't know who he's texting. And he says, Hi. And then she just kind of sits there and like pulls out her lunch and starts eating her lunch. And then Steve's eating his lunch. And I'm just like, what is going on here? I get zero introduction. I'm just there. And, you know, I'm constantly curious about Steve. So instead of asking him, I just don't say anything until like the next day. I'm like, what was that? He's like, oh, yeah, that was someone I dated way back in the day. It was awkward, guys. It was awkward. Steve often talks about how when he's coaching toughness, he'll have athletes stare each other in the eyes for 10 minutes without moving because it teaches them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Being at that Barnes & Noble table, uh, whatever hormones were happening in my body, they were just telling me like, this is weird. You should leave. This is weird. But I stuck it out. So there's there's Steve's coaching for you. I'll coach relationships. How about that? <laughs> well, we will we will save the rest of the uh, peak performance launch trip fiasco story for which... another episode. And we promise we're not going to go all Taylor Swift on you. Steve's not going to like re-release the book, taking jabs at high school girlfriends. Um, we've evolved. We've grown up. Although it sounds like Steve dated this person for longer than Taylor dated Jake Gyllenhaal. So who knows, Steve, maybe you're, maybe you're leaving money on the table. How about a re-release of peak performance, the, taking some jabs? The, the dating version. 
peak yeah. dating performance. That would probably sell better than anything we'll we'll release. We so. should consider that. Yeah, peak dating performance. How about yeah. that? Look at us. See, we're exploring, and now maybe we have something to exploit. It, there we go. So you'll just kind of have to listen to see if that turns into a reality. Might take a couple years, but the the worm of the idea has been planted. Let's see if it grows. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Did you just say the worm of an idea? Hold on. The wor- worm, like a growing worm? Isn't it a seed? Don't you plant a seed? You're plant- oh, well, you get like worms and maggots, I think, are really good for gardening. But the worm of an idea. How about that? Add that to the list of book titles. The worm of an idea. all right we gotta end this before we go off the rails here uh thanks for listening if you made it this far god bless you um (laughs) check out our patreon patreon.com slash the growth equation all sorts of good stuff you can even spend time asking brad and i about conversations like these in our quarterly mastermind group if you want to so get on board a lot lot of good worms and ideas Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.